waiting, anticipation, longing. This is what I was experiencing this past year uh, in that I became an uncle this past year. And there is this anticipation and waiting and longing for the birth of my brother's child. And as you wait, and many of you are probably experiencing this now for the birth of your child, maybe your first one or uh, maybe your fifth one, but this waiting and this longing, it kind of increases as each step of the process of the pregnancy comes along. You know, you start seeing the ultrasound and you hear the baby's heartbeat and it's beating super fast. Uh, Weeks go by, the abdomen's getting larger. You start noticing. Uh, You start feeling the kicks. You know the gender. Now you see the shape of the baby in the ultrasound picture. It's starting to be less like an alien and more like a human. Uh, and all, the, all of those signs and symptoms, the, the limbs forming, it, it increases that longing, that waiting, that excitement of waiting for the birth of this child. And that's what's happening in this passage in Hebrews, that we're waiting and waiting for the revelation of who God is in His Son. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It's, it can be found on page 1001 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, and while you turn there, uh, let me give you a brief background about this letter. Uh, this epistle or letter was written to Christians, uh, most likely Jewish Christians. And, and we know this because if you kind of skim over the book of Hebrews, there's many quotations from the Old Testament, uh, many allusions to the Old Testament, whether it's characters uh, uh, like Moses or David. Uh, and, and this book... The author it really wants to encourage and warn these weary Christians. Why were they uh, weary? Uh, because there's false teachers at this time that they were teaching that Jesus is not sufficient. Jesus is not sufficient. That's what these false teachers were teaching. And in order to encourage and warn and rebuke these Christians, the author wants us to know the supremacy of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. And that's the only way to be faithful is to see the glory and the greatness of Jesus. And with that, let me read us. I hope you're there with us. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is with the word of the Lord. The main point of this passage and the main point of this sermon is the supremacy of Jesus. So if you're taking notes with us, the main point of this passage and the main point of the sermon is the supremacy of Jesus. And we'll see the supremacy of Jesus in revelation, creation, purification, and glorification. And we'll go through all four points as we go along, as we unpack this passage. Firstly, we see the supremacy of Jesus in Revelation, as God reveals Himself through the Son. Look with me at verse 1. 
Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So in the Old Testament, this is all the long ago, back in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people, Jewish Christians, Jewish people, uh, like to Abraham, to Moses, to people of Israel, and he spoke to them through prophets. And these prophets are messengers of God. They spoke on behalf of God. And and if you look with it, in many times and in many ways, uh, in the Old Testament, we find that God spoke to his people through either the burning bush, Mount Sinai, uh, through uh, the classical prophets by hearing of the word. Uh, so if you, uh, for example, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they heard the word of the Lord and they spoke on behalf of God. Uh, and that's how God spoke to his people in the Old Testament. Uh, and see, we see in this passage that God, he does continually reveal himself and he speaks to his people all throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But in this passage, in verse 2, we also see some differences. And we see some of those differences through parallels. And I'm going to give you guys a tool in your Bible reading toolbox, and that's the tool of parallelism. Parallelism. So if you're driving and parking a car in parallel parking, you know, your car is parallel to the sidewalk. So what we're doing as we're reading in the Bible is we're comparing and you're taking one verse and you're looking at that verse with another verse. So that's parallelism. And I, and I hope to just show you as we go through this uh, what it looks like in, in uh, Hebrews 1, verse 1 and verse 2. So notice with me, uh, Hebrews 1, uh, 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, that is parallel to in these last days in verse 2. Uh, another one. At many times and in many way, ways, parallels with, by implication, uh, by his son, one way. Uh, third, another parallel. God spoke to the audience, which is the fathers. And that's parallel with he has spoken to us in verse 2. And then lastly, we see the final parallel by the prophets. And that's parallel with he has spoken to us by his son. And the point of these parallels, if you're looking verse 1 and verse 2, you side by side, the point of this is that God is revealing himself, yes, in the Old Testament, but now in the last days in the New Testament, in how he speaks to us today, it's through his Son. The final and supreme revelation is through the Son. So all these prophets and messengers of God of old, they were pointing to this final supreme revelation. Namely, God the Son. And these messengers, these prophets, were just kind of shadows of the actual substance, Jesus. God has spoken to us in the Son, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just bring the Word. Jesus is the Word. And the main point right here, we see that God's supreme revelation is Himself through the Son. And God wants us to know who this main character is. And it's His Son. son. And Hebrews does this by showing us it's the language of the Son. Uh, He doesn't use in verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. He doesn't say uh, Jesus. He doesn't say the Christ. But he uses the language of Son. And I want us to double-click on what this sonship means because uh, I think it's very important for the author to show us this because the author of Hebrews doesn't use the word Jesus until chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, and we've, 
that takes a while, right? Chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. You don't see Jesus until right then because chapter 1 all the way to 2, verse 8 is kind of unpacking what this identity of son is. So I, ho- I hope we have to just simmer in what sonship is. Uh, again, the rest of Hebrews uses the word son and I- this idea of sonship 12 times in the book of Hebrews. So even in the context of the book of Hebrews, we're seeing this idea of sonship. And then lastly, in the immediate context in verse 5, the author of Hebrews is unpacking and comparing the son with angels. So if you just scan with me, verse 5, For to which of the sons did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And if you drop down to verse 8, But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Uh, and it's kind of unpacking this idea of sonship. And that's the storyline of scriptures moving towards the son. And in, throughout the uh, scriptures, we see that this idea of sonship, uh, there's many ways that uh, the, son, the son is being used, whether that's in reference to man or angels. But I want us to look at two main categories or two titles, son of God and son of man. And I guess a rebuke to myself, uh, I used to think, you know, son of God, oh, that just kind of shows that Jesus is God. And then son of man, oh, that just shows Jesus is human. Uh, but that's not actually how God uses those terms in the scriptures. And, and I want to double click on this because I think this will show and help us understand who Jesus really is and how he fulfills this idea of sonship. Uh, so firstly, son of God. So if you're taking notes, you can write son of God. When you see son of God, think kingship and rulership. Think kingship and rulership. Uh, where do we get this idea? I, we can turn to so many passages in, in the Bible, uh, but I want us to look at a few passages. Uh, first, mainly uh, Psalm 2, which is our scripture reading. So if you want to just turn there with me to Psalm 2, I won't read all of it um, since Roger read all of it, but I do want to highlight a few verses in Psalm 2. So Psalms is uh, kind of in the middle of the Bible. So Psalm 2, the second Psalm. And it's this royal psalm king about talking about the kings and in psalm 2 if you look with me to verse 7 let me read that for you for us psalm 2 verse 7 says i will tell of the decree the lord said to me you are my son today i have begotten you ask of me and i will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession So even in this psalm, we see that this idea of uh, the nations, rulership, kingship over the the world, the earth, that's who the son is. The son is the king, the ruler of the world, of the nations. And and, uh, another passage that we could refer to is uh, Hebrews uh, 1.8, which actually is quoting Psalm 45. And you don't need to turn to Psalm 45 with me, but uh, let me uh, quote that for you just to get us an idea of this kingship. Psalm 45, it says, uh, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So in Psalm 45, again, 
talking about the throne uh, of this son. It's forever and ever. So it, the extent of his kingdom and his rule is forever and ever. Uh, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, who is the son? And then how do the disciples answer that question? Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So son of God. So all throughout scripture, and we could go through so many different passages, it really shows the son of God is kingship, rulership. Secondly, son of man. So I hope you got son of God. Son of man, if you're taking notes, uh, think unique man that will restore man or redeem man. So son of man, unique man that will restore man or redeem man. So think kind of redemption, right? Uh, Psalm 8, which again, Hebrews will quote, um, it talks about the son of man that will kind of rule and reign and redeem man, humanity. The son of man will redeem humanity. Uh, In uh, the book of Daniel, uh, it's a prophecy, a prophetic literature about this son of man that will come who will restore humanity uh, from from all uh, these sinners. Mark 10.45, again, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man who will give his life as a ransom for many. So all throughout scripture, and again, there's many passages referring to the Son of Man, that it refers to this unique man that will redeem man, redeem humanity. So I hope you're starting to get some of that context of this sonship language, that both the Son of God and Son of Man, it's fulfilled in Jesus. The promise in the Old Testament, fulfillment in Jesus. And the rest of Hebrews actually just unpacks this idea of sonship uh, because, you know, in chapter 3, it's going to talk about how Jesus had to be 100% man. Why? Because only man can save man. Um, All all throughout Scripture, um, we see this revelation is pointing forward to who is Jesus, truly God, truly man. And just a side note in terms of application, um, as, you're going, as we're hearing the sermon and as we're going through the book of Hebrews, I hope you guys can uh, identify and write down just the many ways that Jesus is greater or supreme. Uh, so as you're going through and hearing this sermon, I hope you're just writing on the side of your notes just the ways that Jesus is greater. Uh, and as you see in verse 1 and 2, we see that God is a speaking God. God speaks today. And all throughout Scripture, we see that primarily right now in, in this time period, in these last days, God speaks to through Jesus. He's the living word. And we have the Bible, which is the written word. So non-Christian friend, we're so glad that you're here. But if you want to know who this God is that we worship, we as Christians worship, we go to his word. Uh, we don't go to... Uh, these TV programs that as we're coming along Easter, we're going to start seeing, you know, all these TV programs about Jesus, the historical Jesus. But we look to God's word to know what does God say about himself in his word. So I hope as we're uh, dis- uh, discussing um, and your and non-Christian friend, as you're kind of searching and figuring out who this Jesus is, I hope your friend could walk you through the Bible and what God himself says who Jesus is. Uh, and in, in our equip class, uh, we've been going through a class on guidance and how do we make decisions. And many times, 
uh, even for myself, we are looking for kind of these signs and wonders to kind of uh, guide us and lead us and how do we follow God. Uh, but again, this passage just shows us that God has spoken to us in His Son, uh, and we look to God in His Word, the written Word, uh, not to our subjective feelings. So I hope as you're kind of figuring out um, how do I obey God, how do I you know, discern what decisions to make, I hope we look to God's Word as He's revealed Himself to us. So I hope you're beginning to see the supremacy of Jesus in Revelation through His Word, but we also see His supremacy in creation. So notice with me uh, verse 2, the second half. Uh, But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So this Son, Jesus, He's the heir of the world. Why? Because He's the creator. So Jesus reigns as King. He owns all things. Why? Because He created all things. And I think this has big implications and application for us because I think we feel entitled and we feel like we deserve certain things. And, and you could see this in children. You could see this in us that we don't really want to share. We want to kind of rule our kingdom. We want our desires to come to fruition. We want our plans to go the right way. But this text shows us in verse 2 that Jesus, he's the heir of all things. He owns all things. So Jesus is the only one who is entitled to all things. All that we own, the relationships, the time, the resources, it all belongs to Jesus, the heir of all things. So Jesus is ruler, and he's entitled to these things. Uh, again, we see the, that Jesus is superior to all things. Why? Because he created all things. So uh, the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. To illustrate this, the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Why? Because the builder created the house. The artist is greater than the painting. Why? Because the painting would not have existed if the artist did not create the art. And so in the same way, the son is superior as he reigns over the world. Why? Because he's the creator of the universe. This son is superior because he created all things. That's authority. That's power. And if you look with me in verse 3, it also says of this son, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we see Jesus is ruler, creator. But in this verse, we see Jesus is sustainer of all things. And it's this active involvement with creation by the word of his power that Out of nothing, God created everything. That Jesus, he created the mountains and the oceans, the stars and the skies, keeps the world in motion, keeps the gravity, sustains us that our feet are on the ground, that we don't just float in space. And even as it rained yesterday and this past week, that God sustains, Jesus sustains every raindrop, that it lands where it's supposed to land. And every hydrogen and two oxygen molecules that are together, that they would form water and they'll drop and they wouldn't explode. That's the power of Jesus sustaining everything. Every cell in your body to work properly, from the expanse of the skies to the atoms that make up everything. That just shows the superiority of Jesus. Supreme over creation. So I hope you start seeing Jesus ruler, He's creator, 
and also sustainer. That's his power, his authority, his control over everything. Uh, And thirdly, we see his supremacy of Jesus in his work for purification, particularly purification for sins. So uh, if you look with me, uh, verse th- uh, 3, the, towards the uh, middle and the end of it. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This work of Jesus is the pinnacle, it's the heart of Christianity. It's the work of Christ on Calvary at the cross. The creator God would take on flesh to purify and cleanse humanity, cleanse Man. So we see in this passage, why does God come? Why does he come to die? The answer is he came to die to cleanse us of our sin, to wipe our sin once and for all. Why did he do this? Well, the problem is that we sinned against God. We disobeyed God. And the consequences of that is death, eternal damnation. But look at God's kindness in Jesus that Jesus would come to purify and make purification for sins. And that's what the gospel message is, that Jesus came to die on the cross and rise three days later to cleanse and purify us of all sins, past, present, future sin. And so non-Christian friend that you're, with, that you're here with us, we're so thankful again, but I plead with you that you need to repent and believe in Jesus Believe in this purification, the work of Christ on the cross. And this work is finished and final. If you look with me, after making purification for sins, what did Jesus do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Priests in the Old Testament, they would stand. They would do their priestly duty of cleansing sin and making atonement, they would sacrifice animals to cleanse and purify sin. But that, the work of priests in the Old Testament, that can never completely wipe away sin. But look at Jesus. What Jesus does is he does not stand. He sits. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? That sitting down is basically to say that his work is complete. It's finished. And it's actually kind of in reference to Psalm 110, and you don't have to go there. But Psalm 110, it it depicts this picture of the king who sits down, saying that his enemies have been defeated. And that's kind of what's happening here in Jesus' work. That if he's this king, since he's this king, he goes out, he defeats the enemy, he goes into war and battle, he defeats the enemy, comes back, takes a seat on the throne, signifying, yes, the war has been ended, victory has been won, but also that peace has been established. Order has returned. And that's what's going on in the sitting of the right hand of the majesty on high. That right hand of the majesty on high is this royal language, that this kingship language again, that he sits down, Jesus, King Jesus sat down, and he does his work of purifying sin. And I hope some of you, You may feel this discouragement, this shame, or this guilt that maybe, ooh, God can't cleanse some of my sin. Maybe 90% of my sin, but this 10%, God's power of his cleansing work, uh, it's it's not good enough. But this text shows us Jesus completed it. 
So past, present, future sin, all been taken care of. There's no stain that is too mighty for God to clean. God's work in His Son on the cross is superior than all these sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice once and for all that will cleanse sin. And on the flip side, some of you may feel like, oh, you know, I could purify my own self by my own works. Maybe you trust yourself to be your own savior. Maybe you trust your Bible reading, your church attendance. But friends, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, no, this text shows us it's after making purification for sins, it's not you who sat down. It's Jesus who sat down. Jesus' work. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus alone. And finally, we see the supremacy of Jesus in revelation, creation, purification. And finally, we see the supremacy of Jesus in glorification. And what I mean by that is that God is glorified in Jesus. So if you look with me, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We see Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. What does that mean, right? This radiance. And this radiance is another way of saying the visible expression of the glory of God. So God, we can visibly see him in the Son, Jesus. And if you look at John 1 and John 14, it shows that Jesus is this word becoming flesh. And if you see the Father, you've seen the Son, you've seen God. And and it's this idea of Jesus is divine, is God. And all throughout history, uh, Christians have believed this. Uh, In the Nicene Creed in the year 300, uh, Christians, they gathered to, to establish and say that Jesus is the very God of God, being of one substance with the Father. Just showing that Jesus is divine, of the same substance and nature. And all throughout history, unfortunately though, people have twisted this identity of Jesus. Today, people have said, Jesus is my therapist, my cheerleader. Maybe some of your coworkers have said, Jesus is a mere teacher, just a mere man. All these, view, these ways of viewing Jesus, um, they're so wrong. Why? Because it, it, it changes the identity of Jesus in accordance with what we want. We want Jesus to be our friend, so he's our homeboy. We want Jesus to be our cheerleader, so we, we change the identity of Jesus to be our cheerleader, our therapist, our counselor, and you name it. And unfortunately, that is just our sin twisting who Jesus is. And especially as Easter comes up in the uh, next few weeks, I hope this could be a, a practical way that as you ask uh, your coworkers or your neighbors about, you know, who is this Jesus, I hope you could show them from the Bible right here in Hebrews 1 that this is who Jesus is, this, that Jesus is God, truly God, truly man. So friends, I hope you start seeing that Jesus is more superior to the angels He's superior than this Moses to Abraham, to these high priests, to these kings, these rulers. Why? Because of all that we just saw, that Jesus is supreme as revealer, as ruler, as creator, as sustainer, as purifier of sins. Christians, I hope, brothers and sisters in Christ, that if you're tempted, 
uh, just like in the audience, original context of Hebrews, that you're tempted to say, ooh, I don't know if Jesus is sufficient. I hope you see this glorious picture and vision of who Jesus is, that he is superior to all things. So if you're tempted to, ooh, you know what, I'm looking and scrolling through Instagram and Facebook, and I'm tempted to go back to my old ways of life and putting money as my idol, I hope, once again, you're, you're counseling your own heart with Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 and see that Jesus is supreme, he is glorious, and deserves all glory. As a church, and in terms of application, if you notice in our church service, we preach Jesus' supremacy, we sing of Jesus, we preach the gospel of Jesus and his glory, we evangelize our neighbors with Jesus, <clears throat> I hope as you join churches, whether it's our church or another church, that the litmus test is Jesus that we believe. According to his word, we counsel, speak the truths of Jesus to one another. I hope we point one another to Jesus. And and church, this is all in how we live in accordance with the glory of Jesus, that if he is supreme in his glory, that Jesus must take precedence and center of our lives. So I hope I just gave you good examples of how we as a church ought to move in that direction. <clears throat> and, and finally, uh, back to the anticipation and waiting for the birth of my niece. Finally, that waiting and anticipation was fulfilled in the birth of my niece. That was the whole point of the waiting as I was waiting to be an uncle. And in the same way in Hebrews, we see that the entire history of salvation, it's moving toward the arrival of Jesus. And we see the supremacy of Jesus in revelation, over creation, in purification, and glorification. This is Jesus Christ, the superior Son. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to praise you that you reign over the heavens and the earth. Your throne is forever and ever. You are most glorious. That Jesus' name is most excellent. That every knee will bow one day to the name of Jesus. We confess the ways we live for our own glory, our own desires, our own comforts. But God, we thank you so much that Jesus took on flesh to cleanse us of our sin. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to treasure Jesus more and more, that we would value Christ more and more as supreme over our lives and as our church. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.